Hello, and welcome to Jefferville. As promised, this is the third strand to our podcasting empire. As not promised, this isn't going to be talking about the Sergeant Pepper movie. We've decided to push that back because of reasons that you'll find out later. We've pushed it back because it was so good that I want to see it at least three more times before we talk about it. So Jefferville is a strand looking at the culture of the United States of America, which you might have heard of. You see, when we're doing the sitcom club, Jeff Cakes of Proust, we always kind of restricted US culture to November. November's Thanksgiving, that's an excuse. Because for the most part, we felt US culture doesn't need us. But it never went away. We kept bumping up against US culture and saying we should talk about that one day. Now, there are only so many Novembers in a year. Most years, there's only one. So, while we're doing it here in November, next year, we're probably going to do about eight weeks of nothing but talking about US films, TV, culture, generally. We're obviously not going to be talking about the stuff that is already well catered for. We ain't going to be talking about Game of Thrones. We're not really going to be talking about anything that's on HBO or Showtime or Stars or anything like that. We're going to be talking about the same slightly off the beaten track stuff that we're talking about on the other podcasts. Today, for example, we're talking about Thanksgiving TV, but I've got questions about Thanksgiving TV in the States. You till are our man in Kansas, been there long enough now to know Why do you that say Kansas? It's an area that people will recognise. And there's also sort of I think people there to... would have heard of California. I don't think anybody's going to be horribly surprised when I say, I live in California. There's certain allusions to Wizard of Oz there as well. So it's like you're in this magical new place. You know what I mean? Actually, hang on a minute. She was from Kansas. She didn't go to Kansas, did she? You've had time to get accustomed to some of the quaint old charms of your locality. Whereas there are certain things from an outsider's perspective where... I'm sort of intrigued, and I'm hoping that you can provide some guidance on this. So I think actually this idea about us having the transatlantic talk and what have you, I think this will prove worthwhile, because there's certain things that you hear, and we've mentioned the show before, for example, a really enjoyable podcast called Stu's Show. There's things that you hear on there, for example, or if you watch, say, the E! Network's biographies, or just any book you know, on American TV that's been published in the States, there's going to be certain keywords and certain situations and setups and protocols and what have you, which they don't really need to go into for that audience. But presumably the bulk of our listeners are still going to be in the UK. You know, sometimes they can be a little bit unusual. To kick off, Thanksgiving, it's that funny holiday that we hear about. We don't get it in the UK for obvious reasons. But here's something at the back of my mind, and I'd like you to confirm or deny this. I've seen Thanksgiving as portrayed on popular TV shows such as Roseanne and WKRP in Cincinnati and so on. Do people actually watch television on Thanksgiving Day itself? Now, I'll add the proviso, not talking about NFL. I know there's always the NFL triple bill that's on and watching American football on the day itself as a tradition. Playing American football in the morning is a tradition as well. But I get the impression that with Thanksgiving TV, it tends to be the bits and pieces that are going out immediately before the day and then perhaps after the day. I'm not going to get onto Thanksgiving being a springboard to Christmas just yet. We'll come on to that because that's going to be a topic in of itself. But the main attraction, Thanksgiving Day itself, do people generally speaking have the TV on? 
In my experience, no. Or it might be on, but nobody said, oh, can we just hold on a minute? I have to watch this thing. And certainly not, I have to watch this thing on this channel. My experience of the TV being on and everybody watching it on Thanksgiving is towards the end of the evening, somebody might pull out a Blu-ray, pop on Avatar, something like that, and watch that. There's nothing I can think of as being a Thanksgiving tradition that everybody's glued to. We'll talk about the Macy's Parade later. But I think Thanksgiving is a problem holiday. I mean, Halloween now starts towards the end of August. Halloween has an obvious appeal. You have to buy costumes. You have to buy candy. Thanksgiving, well, you have to buy food. You have to buy something for the big family dinner that you're presumably having. Beyond that? And I think it also has the same problem that Christmas has in the UK for ITV. Now, I know that American television was not always commercial in the way that it didn't always show commercials. I know, yes, bull of a watch time. That's the first commercial. There weren't commercials before that. The FCC, blah, blah, blah. But let's oversimplify and say American television has always been, at heart, commercial. In the UK, you can lose sight of how much of a problem Christmas is because you have the BBC. The BBC does not have to keep advertisers interested on Christmas Day. They just need bums on seats to justify their license fee and their charters. ITV, adverts on Christmas Day are a problem because they don't have an immediate effect. It might even be a couple of days before people can get to the shops. This is going back through history, and I mean, when we go back to the 50s, probably even more so. Especially if you have one of those kinky years when it's Christmas Sunday and Monday's Boxing Day. Yeah, they are curious, aren't they? Well, people now, I think, are losing that tradition. and We need to keep it. So that's always been the problem for ITV. Do they put up a fight out of sheer pride? But if they do, are they wasting resources on something that not many advertisers are interested in because the impact can be lost? My memory is that adverts on Christmas Day were always for package holidays. Well, yes, exactly. Things like holidays and things like, for example, companies simply saying Merry Christmas to our customers. And particularly if it was maybe like local advertising and what have you. You get adverts like the kids' choir singing, and it's basically an advert for the co-op, but it's not advertising any products or anything like that. They don't mention any special offers because the store's shut. It's interesting to see where we go from here. Because I think that we're on the edge of something of a revolution in this area with e-commerce no longer being a novelty and and getting very close to being the norm. We're getting to the point now where you can imagine that a film that ITV, if it was first run or say you know some major show of their own, something like that where previously it would have gone out probably before the 23rd of December or perhaps after the 27th of December and you can now imagine them putting extra resources on you know the holiday dates themselves because for example they can flash up an advert that says if you go onto Amazon right now then this device uh, there's a third of it for the next eight and a half minutes. So the facility for purchasing immediately on the day itself is now there. It'll be intriguing to see where we go in the future. I think the one thing we'll actually come back to on Jappaville, not just talking about holiday period and so on, is 
You were saying there about TV wasn't always commercial in the States, but I guess as far as most people are concerned and most people's experience of seeing it, people, it was one of the first things you ever hear anybody say if they've been to the States and they've seen any television at all, the commercials, they say. I can't believe how many commercials that there were. It was just endless. Via Ways and Means, I've mentioned this before, I've got access to some American TV channels, some of them terrestrial, some of them cable and so on. The premium channels, things like HBO, Showtime, they don't run any commercials, which is quite pleasant, quite a nice surprise, considering that things like, for example, the equivalent in the UK, something like Sky Cinema, for example, does actually have adverts during you know, the breaks between the films and so on. But as far as terrestrial and cable TV is concerned, yeah, you see a lot of adverts. And it's interesting now that in 2017, suddenly people are getting, possibly for the first time ever, exposure to mainstream A-list material via places like Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu Plus, where there are no adverts. And I'm sort of intrigued to see sort of what impact that has because it's not really been something that's on offer. I mean, the the only channel that I can think of traditionally that doesn't tend to run any adverts is PBS. But as you you can explain until you can explain this better than I could, on PBS you have very frequent fundraising drives on shows, not just like telephones, but just generally speaking during the day. Just quickly put PBS on just to see. I'm not sure that there aren't any commercials at all on PBS. I tend not to watch PBS because these days it tends to be, well, right now it's Antiques Roadshow and later on it'll be that version of Father Brown adapted by somebody who doesn't like Father Brown stories. So Thanksgiving, it's a problem holiday because the day itself has this massive presence in the mind, but it's a bad day for selling. But you can't just go up and announce, Thanksgiving Day, we're not going to bother. We're a commercial enterprise. So you have to do something that looks like it's important but isn't a waste of resources. A lot of places will do marathons of particular series or particular movies. This year on Antenna TV, I believe it is All in the Family, every episode. And I presume that you know the other channels on cable as well will be doing all that kind of thing. I'm sure there'll be wall-to-wall Andy Griffith and Cheers and so on and so on, just depending on where you look on the dial. We watched some Thanksgiving specials. That's another problem as well. So Thanksgiving specials of sitcoms. Because Thanksgiving isn't something you can sell far and wide. They have Thanksgiving in Canada. It's in October. And they have Thanksgiving in the US. And beyond that, you don't make a Thanksgiving-based movie and expect people in the wider world to be at all bothered by it. So again, it's like, we have to acknowledge it, but there isn't any real money in it. So, of the things we watched, what did we watch? We watched a heck of a lot of TV for this. What do you want to talk about first? I'm not sure there's a great deal to say about it itself. Let me just point out, by the way, if you hear any noises in the background, it's because we're recording this on 5th November. So, obviously, noises outside the window. We watched Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, which I think is from, is it 71? 73, I think. So, that's something that I presume has been shown every single year since and probably has been shown on multiple networks at various times. If you could bring up Wikipedia and double check with it, but I have a feeling it might have been shown every year since its debut or not far off. A Charlie Brown Thanksgiving is a 10th primetime animated TV special based upon the popular comic strip Peanuts. Originally aired on CBS 
uh, November 20th, 1973. Currently, the special is aired every November in primetime on the ABC network. Broadcast history. Special first aired on CBS, November 2073, continued to air every year on that network until 2000. In 2001, it moved along with the rest of the Peanut specials to ABC. Traditionally, ABC airs the special on Thanksgiving night, although it is also aired on other days preceding the holiday, including the Sunday before Thanksgiving. It was the first place we turned because for some reason it was the first thing that popped into my head when the topic of Thanksgiving television came up. I was really let down by this. I think because the humour is so low-key and mildly depressing. And of course, there was this whole bit about, do we need to bother explaining the plot? Charlie Brown throws a separate Thanksgiving dinner for his friends, very much against his will. And for some reason, some of his friends don't appear to have parents. We know that Charlie Brown has grandparents and parents. They, they pick them all up at the end. I don't know. This is like, right, this is it. This is, Thanksgiving is all about Charlie Brown in my head. And it's just him being put upon. And a little peppermint patty goes a long way. Then we watch the Thanksgiving special of WKRP in Cincinnati, which is generally regarded as one of the all-time sitcom classics. And Gary didn't laugh. I don't know what it is that's wrong with me. Because everything about WKRP in Cincinnati is screaming, I should like this. So I like the era that's set in. I like the the situation. It's got that nice sort of vibe about it we've spoken about before, where it's like just, just the actual situation itself. You just like the overall location and aura of it and so on. I don't know. For whatever reason, I've tried many, many times to get into WKRP in Cincinnati, and it's just, it hasn't worked. It hasn't done it for me. And I really can't explain why that is. So no, I watched this. It was not the first time I'd seen it. Uh, and I thought, maybe I didn't get it first time. I'll try it again. But no, it just wasn't happening. What's well, the idea of turkeys plummeting to their deaths from a helicopter. That's the funny part. And it is based on a real incident. Uh, by the way, PBS is currently showing a commercial break with actual commercials in it on my TV. What? No. For insurance, cell phones, genealogy kits. This is not on. I don't want adverts on PBS. The thing is, anytime I've seen PBS, and the one that I have access to is one called WPSU. It's from Pennsylvania. What they usually do is they sort of disguise those bits and pieces by saying PBS is supported in part by... So they're saying this is not really a commercial. It's more acknowledgement of our sponsors. But no, I don't want to see them no, actually... That was a flat-out ad break I was looking at. Oh, that's not right. Now, there's some debate as to whether the turkeys in real life were thrown out the back of a truck or off the top of a high building. But apparently it was a regular thing. If you don't want to hear a spoiler for this particular episode, then just mute your earbuds or whatever for no more than six seconds the entire plot hinges upon the station manager say i thought turkeys could fly and that really ultimately it comes down to that it's a single gag that's what all of this is about and yes it's a good gag it's a good punchline it's a good payoff but it's just such a chore to get there i don't know i just ugh. so I, I don't know i don't know what's wrong with me it's obviously me because it's a very very popular episode and it will be on repeatedly during the month of November, I'm sure. But By the way, just looking back at some social media things, uh, of course, there's mentioned John Lane, who wrote our theme tune, mentioned football games. And it was also mention of a station in New Jersey that always used to show March of the Wooden Soldiers, a.k.a. Babes in Toyland, every Thanksgiving. Well, there is obviously one particular show that we're just about to talk about in a second, but I'd also say my own sort of 
experience of Thanksgiving TV and radio because I'd listen to a lot of sort of news and sports or just like you know the stuff that's always like twenty four seven. Those kind of channels they just pretty much shut down over Thanksgiving. I mean, some of the talk radio shows don't even have a relief guest. Sometimes it's just best ofs that go out in its place. It's slightly different. If you imagine, for example, if you've ever seen Sky Sports News on Christmas Day, they've got stuff to talk about because there's a full card of events on Boxing Day. So it's not quite got the sort of ghost ship aura as, say, a cable news channel has on a public holiday because that really is just empty. There's nothing going on, nothing's happening, nothing's going to happen. It almost certainly it's just going to be recaps of what's been happening in previous months and you know the year behind us and the year ahead and all that kind of stuff. Before we talk about Macy's, actually, I want to throw a few more questions at you with regards to the American TV. How much did you know about American TV before you went to the States? I mean, presumably you knew you know the big main networks, you knew them by name and so on, but... I don't think any of it's come as a big surprise. I don't watch that much of it. As I'm looking now in my eyeline, I can see a big stack of DVDs from Network. That's mostly what I watch. I spent my time in the US watching Mr. Rose and Danger Man and Crown Court. <laughs> can we should just mention in passing, by the way, that you messaged me a few days back and said, you're going to believe this. You've got a channel on there, like sort of similar to Gold, called Decades. And you said, Markerman, why is it on Decades? And I thought, fantastic. This is brilliant. What era is it? What, what era? Markerman, why is it? And then you revealed that it was actually the Ed Sullivan show. But it still counts as... <laughs> victory in my book Mockham and Wise on decades and then of course we have this channel called Light TV which is kind of non-religious religious broadcasting by which I mean it advertises itself and really underlines its family friendly nature and they seem to have got a big stack of British movies from the 70s so they regularly show Wombling Free and The Water Babies and something about a fox with Dennis Waterman and the amorous milkman. <laughs> please, please. Another thing that people will be familiar with, of course, is the funny-sounding names that American TV and radio stations have. I guess what you call call signs. I mean, it's still in play today, isn't it? It's still a thing. I, mean, I think it's something which has slightly sort of dropped off in, in, as far as branding is concerned in recent years, but it's still a legal requirement, isn't it? I mean, Okay, let me go NBC... through the dial here. So I've got KCBS, NBC4, so they don't really have one, uh, KTLA, KABC, because, of course, these are going to the LA market, so they're big enough to have locked down the call signs that belong to their parent companies. Yes, they, they begin with K on this side of the Mississippi, and on the other side of the Mississippi, they tend to start with W. There are variations, apparently. There are differences. So there are some Ws this side of the Mississippi and some Ks that side, but can only do so much research. So, for example, the American cable network TBS, which if you're a wrestling fan, obviously you'll you understand straight away why I'm familiar with that particular name. Back in the day, that would have been referred to as... Channel 17 WTBS from Atlanta. And after a little while expansion of cable, the Channel 17 gets dropped and it becomes Superstation WTBS and eventually the W gets dropped. And now, of course, it's just referred to as TBS. And you even get like strange, and this is something, of course, we've got in the UK now as well, you've got strange, funny names for channels now which don't even sound like channel names. 
like Freeform, for example. I think that that's what used to be ABC Family. And that's how you end up with channels called Dave and silly things like that. I, I do prefer the traditional names. I prefer the call signs, to be honest. Affiliates. Now, this is obviously way, way too big a topic for us to discuss today, but it's worth just sort of touching on briefly. If you've ever seen the Larry Sanders show, there was always pressure from the network itself, but the real pressure, the real power holders are the affiliates. And every once in a while, Artie will have a meeting with the affiliates. There are instances, I think, it's not something that's, that's so common nowadays, but there are instances going back decades of like local affiliates in certain markets even changing their affiliations. You hear of channels which were once CBS, then change them and start taking ABC and things like this. You do also have the situation of affiliates sometimes not carrying particular shows from the network, so you will get somewhere out there in one of the little nooks and corners of the US. The NBC affiliate won't be showing the night show, so the ABC affiliate will. That is really bizarre. I mean, that then gives rise to that curious little turn of phrase, check local listings, which I always sort of remember seeing. I can't remember where I would have seen it, but I was always sort of faintly aware that that was something that you saw in American promotions and so on. Like my local, my local, for goodness sake, my, my version of NBC that I have is, is one that's called WGAL8 that serves a certain part of Pennsylvania. And I've messaged yourself before and said, hey, we've got breaking news on NBC. What's this all about? And then you've said, no, it's still the same here. We've still got this and that, even though we've got time difference, obviously, because I'm watching Eastern Time TV. But it's something that we don't really have in the UK anymore. And we've got these weird local TV stations that don't really fit on the dial properly in terms of their purpose or their output. But in the States, if, for example, if there are severe weather conditions, that's what takes priority on the local TV. Doesn't matter if the Price is Right is coming to its showcase showdown or whatever. If they've got something to say about a tornado warning or what have you, it will crash onto the screen. Whereas we don't really have that in the UK now. I mean, even the ITV regions were pretty large terrain, each and every one of them. So TV is still much more local in the States. Is that, is that a fair assessment, do you think? It's principally news. But yes, the news programs are big business. So I would imagine generally we're getting pretty much the same thing. It's not like the old kinky, when we used to look at the TV times at the regional variations, and think, What's that? they're showing that in Granada. I want to see that. And they're not showing it in Yorkshire. It's not quite like that. I don't think there is all that much freedom. But the affiliates control the news programs and the news programs command. We don't get a situation, I don't think, where... Yorkshire would refuse to show a network show because it was eating into the ratings of calendar. The whole Conan O'Brien, Jay Leno situation, that was really because the network and the affiliates wanted different things. Having Jay Leno on at 10 was saving the network money. They didn't have to put out drama. They didn't have to put out scripted programming. It was still profitable for them. Their affiliates found that the low ratings of the Jay Leno show were then having an impact on viewers for the 11 o'clock news at the beginning, and they also found that people not tuning in for Conan O'Brien was also having an impact. That pe so people weren't watching Jay Leno, so they weren't catching the news after. They weren't tuning into the news because they knew it led nicely into Conan. I know the people saying that it was all Leno's fault for his 
toxic lead-in was impacting the news, impacting the Tonight Show. But the rating slide of the Tonight Show started before the Jay Leno show started. As far as NBC were concerned, it was okay because it was still turning a profit. But the affiliates then started to threaten to drop shows. And it was the affiliates, I believe, who put pressure saying, just put Leno back on at 11.30. Because he did right by us when he was on at 11.30. So just put him back there because we are seeing losses of profits for our news shows. So it is a peculiar situation. Compare this to something like the ITV network today. And I mean, even just that expression, the ITV network, in, in, in some ways is actually archaic. I mean, I know that legally it still exists in terms of a set of franchises, but otherwise, it's very hard to imagine that the head of news at Yorkshire kicking off and making you know a big stink about you know the, the precise timing of the X Factor one Saturday night or anything like that because it just isn't that kind of power. It, it's so centralised in the UK now. One last thing I want to ask about this before we then move on to the main event of Thanksgiving morning: the local services themselves. I've I've said before about how the six most magical words in the English language, when assembled in this order, are receiving more than one ITV service because that's the paragraph that you used to get in the IBA television and radio yearbook. Oh, that was a magical little section. And uh, I just just a dream of being able to, to receive more because I lived in central Scotland, so I had STV to put up. I use tvguide.com to just browse sort of listings when I'm faffing about with the American setup. And... Because it kept on nagging me with pop-ups, eventually I gave in and said, okay, fine, I'll give you a postcode, any postcode, uh, so that you can show me the local services. Because it says at the moment, you're only getting sort of national listings. If you put in a postcode, then you'll get more specific stuff. So I put in a postcode for Pennsylvania, because that's what matched my program guide. I mean, I'm not somebody who suffers from migraines, but I suspect if I kept that, and I couldn't get rid of that cookie quick enough, but if I kept that set up, then... Soon I would have had blinding headaches because I could not make head nor tail of that. It was just page after page after page of listings for all manner of different affiliates of different networks. And it was all simultaneously identical, but yet different. What, what's the point of the CW network? Uh, they show Supergirl and The Flesh, I think, and Legends of Tomorrow. And... 13.2, because these networks now in the digital age have little UK gold attached to them. CBS has Decades, NBC has Cozy TV. I don't know if KTLA, KTLA is, I think, affiliated with something called MyTV. They have Antenna TV and the CW has Buzzer. I've got uh, MyTV, I think it's MyTV9 I've got, and they, they, they sort of reside next to the big four. And of course, it used to be the big three, of course. And then Fox turned up, was it 1980s? I think Fox arrived on the scene. And sitting alongside them were the CW, which I think used to be called the UPN network back in the day. And there's MyTV and there's your PBS and what have you as well. Could you just elaborate on that a little bit? When you said there about how they're sort of affiliated, you're saying basically when you scan like the, the TV dial, and you've got the multiplexes. In the UK, we have multiplexes on digital TV, but you don't really see them like that. They're not sort of like cut up into sections. You've just got one solid EPG with your TV channels, which are cut up into genre rather than by multiplex. So you've got all your genre-based TV channels, and then you've got your radio networks and so on. Whereas when I've heard you going through your dial, you've basically got things like, so there's principal main network with you know local affiliate and so on and then you've got like a block of channels after that so okay let's start right 
2, Channel 2, because the channel starts at 2 for a reason that I know I've read but haven't retained. We start at Channel 2. 2.1 is KCBS. It's the main CBS thing. It's what I watch if I want to watch The Big Bang Theory. So far, that hasn't happened. If I want to watch Colbert, it's KCBS. That's where I turn to. 2.2 is Decades. And they're currently showing Gunsmoke, The Last Apache. So quickly turning to NBC4LA, 4.1. There's no Channel 3. I don't know why. 4.2 is Cozy TV. 5.1 KTLA, which I think I think that was the one I said, wasn't it? It was my TV. Never quite worked out. KTLA is not as branded as the others. 5.2 Antenna TV. I don't know if that was first... Antenna TV, I think, was one of the first into that kind of market where we just show old programs. 5.3, this TV. They tend to show occasional old programs, but usually old movies. Uh, right now, it's Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor in a film called Another You, which is one of those ones that they've kind of forgotten. And so on and so forth. So ABC has this thing called Live Well, but it also has a channel called Laugh, which I guess is like current day go on left daily no this is not a criticism to what you've just said there i just want to sort of interject here quickly and say like i appreciate for some people listening to this that this might seem a little bit like we're going into unnecessary sort of minutiae and what have you and it's a very very specific topic this kind of discussion but personally i'm really enjoying this because i've never heard anybody actually explain those details in the way that you've just explained them because anytime you look at for example like an american tv guide or a book about american tv and what have you these things are just assumed this is just assumed knowledge whereas the way that you've just broken that down there is very interesting but it's also really odd as well just having things like point channel numbers like 5.2 i mean you don't you don't get that in the uk i mean the the, the freeview tv guide just now for example via you know their sort of privileged position which they have to sort of trade off with agreeing to public service broadcasting that's why you've still got bbc one and bbc two in their positions on itv as channel three and four and five and so on and so on and then you've got the secondary services from those stations coming up next and then as you get further down the dial then that's where it starts getting like into the sort of cheaper area and what have you but you, you don't get any point channel numbers at all you don't get that you get channels like channel 601 for example but that doesn't mean to say there's 601 channels. It's just the way that it's been broken down. Sometimes there are sections of separation that put the shopping channels together, put the music channels together. They deliberately keep the adult channels in such a position where they're not right next to the kids' channels, that kind of thing. Yet that's what was making my head spin when I was looking at TV Guide and just looking at all these point numbers and I'm thinking, how the hell do you navigate all of this? So my TV goes up to 64.6. That to me seems a lot more logical than what we've got in the UK. But at the same time, you've got this perverse thing. It's like, right, one, BBC one, two, BBC two, three, ITV four, Channel four. For me, we start at two, CBS, four, NBC, five, MyTV, seven, ABC, 11, Fox, 13, The CW. Now, in some cases, there are channels in between that I dropped, but I think I only dropped channel six and I've never quite worked out what that is. On there's a channel nine but right so it goes seven nine eleven and then 13 and it seems to be that odd technical holdover a little bit like still having the call signs what's it called the bbc's radio channel in london no, bbc radio london yeah it's not called 2lo 
No. <laughs> I guess we're almost a bit like something that still makes my head spin a bit when you see adverts, certainly for the beginning of ITV, on Channel 9 of Band 3. And you see the old channel changes on old British TVs, and they're done so that adjacent VHF channels are not next to each other, so you click it. But 9 might be next to 5 or something. Did it go? No, it started. Ah, whatever. You see how confusing this is. It doesn't go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. It goes 9, 15, blah, blah, blah. Click, 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 click. To prevent with interference. That mindset doesn't seem to have ever left. So there is nothing on Channel 1. Channel 1 is historically not there. When you see, back to Larry Sanders, and Artie says because he doesn't have cables, my TV only goes up to 13. Doesn't mean he has 13 channels. A couple of things have just sprung to mind, actually. You remember when the, the deregulation of the TV guides happened, 91? I've got this idea that this actually happened with the TV Times, specifically, but I know it happened with other magazines as well. Do you remember that some of the listings actually thought, well, obviously, BBC One and ITV, they're the most popular channels, so we'll put them side by side. And then on the other page, we'll have like the sort of the minority viewing, BBC Two and Channel Four and what have you. And that never lasted. Any publication that did that very quickly reverted back to BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, Channel Four, because that's how people's minds work. They work in that sort of linear fashion. Everybody knows that that's where the damn channels are on the remote control. That's how you follow them when you're cycling through them. So suddenly having that order changed in your TV guide, just it wasn't normal. When you talked about Channel One there, Reminds me of having NTL Cable back in the day and how they experimented with having things like their promotional channel on Channel 1. And in their mind, they're sort of thinking, well, this is where people will start. People will start on Channel 1 and they'll see all of our promotional material. Whereas what really happens is that people just go straight to either BBC One or ITV, whatever the default setting is. And so now Sky's promo channel, for example, is right at the end. It's on Channel 998, 999. Channel 101 is BBC One. We're exactly where you would expect to find it because that's just what people are used to. That's what people expect. So yeah, it is odd hearing you describe the positions there of the big networks and how you have to sort of go hunting for them on the dial. And just one final point on this as well, and then we'll move on to Macy's. I know I can't hear the reaction of people, but do tweet us and let us know what your reaction is when when you drop this small piece of information in, because I remember what my reaction was at the time. Everything that you've just described there on your program guide, this is with a, a TV aerial. So you don't have cable, you've got access to streaming services and so on. But this is all basically sort of over-the-air TV, and this isn't just UHF we're talking about, is it? You've got VHF television in 2017 or I think it's officially called I think it's called High V I think is the official term for it but you actually have VHF TV channels VHF don't you? digital I think my Fox affiliate is High V in fact I think my Fox affiliate is only 720p in its HD version I'm looking up why channel 1 is not used and apparently there was just some change of bandwidth allocation that moved channel 1 into the FM spectrum for radio, but the button never changed. So the next one was channel two. This this was, I think, made by the FCC circa 1940. The button just never changed. Maybe somebody's tried it, but the idea that the button is just one, two, three, four hasn't happened. Now, another thing to point out is, of course, the cable TV got its massive market penetration in the 80s here. 
So that might have also changed the mindset. There has been this thing, of course, we all hear about cord cutters because of streaming services. I was reading a thing where a man selling television aerials, because we have Freeview, we don't call it Freeview, but that's what I watch. We don't have cable, never needed it. So I just plugged the aerial, got into my TV, watching what's on free-to-air. People are selling aerials, and I've heard about people saying, is this legal? <laughs> and people being shouted at, this is America! You don't get anything for free! <laughs> Adults, people our age, are unfamiliar with the idea of you stick an aerial up and you get the telly and you don't have to pay for anything other than the aerial. I, I've noticed this in adverts, or not so much adverts, but in, in like articles for cord cutting. It always focuses on Netflix, Hulu, you know, Amazon, so on and so on. And yet then there's this paragraph where it says, right now, listen, I'll tell you, but don't tell anybody else about this, right? But did you know you can actually put an aerial up and you can get, like, the networks, you can get all the big network programs for nothing. And yet it's said in the same sort of way as a cable installer saying to you, like, if you, if you uh, slip us a few bucks, I'll... Uh I'll make all the channels appear for you, but don't tell all the people on the street I did that for you. And yeah, it's it's really odd, isn't it? I You've mean, watched enough US TV. You must have seen an advert for the TV key. Yes, I have. It's an antenna. It's not even one on a wire. I mean, I have mine stuck into a window. It's just a flat piece of plastic. I think there's metal inside it and the wire goes all the way to the TV. This just goes behind the TV into the coaxial socket. The, what's it? The RF plug. So it can't be that good because it's behind the television. But it's advertised as these cable TV fat cats don't want you to know about this. Owing to a law passed by our government, that, like it was some sort of like a weird sneaky trick. That it's just some weird little technicality means that you can watch television without having cable. Yes, it's an aerial. But they don't even really use that. Well, I mean, over here they tend to say antenna rather than aerial. But there's not. This is like it's, a, it's the TV key because you know it unlocks things. There's these signals and nobody knew about it. This is taking the tin foil off your hat <laughs> to let the TV in. Mm. I had a copy of the National Enquirer when they just released it in the UK for the first time. Not a UK edition. It was just it was the first time it was available locally. I think it's about 1990. And I kept this magazine for years for one reason, because it was an advert in it for a TV antenna that was shaped like a mini satellite dish. And the wording of it was just hilarious because it was trying to hoodwink you. The particular phrase that stood out was, with this device, you pay no cable fees because you're not getting cable. <laughs> as if sort of wink wink aye uh-huh and of course legally there's nothing wrong with that sentence because it's absolutely accurate you're not getting cable you're getting a tv aerial that you plug into the back of the tv but the whole way it was sort of suggested it was like with this little ten dollar device oh your neighbor with his you know free figure cable bill be furious if he heard about this uh, okay now i was going to save this for later on but okay we're on the topic anyway we might as well discuss it infomercials now i admit that I do quite like infomercials. <laughs> Sometimes you get enjoyable infomercials. I mean, they're like half an hour adverts that you get. And you usually get these kind of things 
on say some of the cable channels at the weekends, like CNBC and Fox Business and what have you, when when they've got no actual activity going on, you know, their raison d'etre isn't, you know, doing anything, or something like NBC Sports Network when there's no live sport on, you get basically half an hour adverts. And th- this isn't such a an oddity now because of course you get this kind of thing in the UK to an extent, sort of overnight ITV and on satellite and what have you. But some of them are quite enjoyable. You, there's, I mean, you, you've seen the one for Time Life, for example. They're, they're quite often selling their bits and pieces like the Ronan Martin's Laughing Collection. And it's just a half an hour advertisement for the DVD set. And you have the same thing with Carol Burnett's shows, for example. And everybody's seen like the sort of cut-down versions that you get in the UK. It's like, you know, I don't know, like Frank Sanchez's Greatest Hits. This compilation is not available in the shops. You've got to ring up this number. But... In the States, you get like half an hour versions of those adverts. And for a moment, you might get excited on the EPG. Oh, great, a Carol Burnett show. Think, oh, no, it's not a Carol Burnett show. It's a buy the Carol Burnett show. (laughs) Okay, my favorite one is the guy with the gaffer tape. You mentioned him last time. Oh, no, I think I edited that out. So mention him this time. Right, okay. So he's basically selling gaffer tape. That's what he's selling. But he's selling it in such a way that he's basically saying there is nothing at all that this thing will not stick in place. And he demonstrates this by getting like a huge, I don't know if it's actually made out of metal, but it's like a sort of rowing boat and he saws the thing in half. And then he sticks it together again with his gaffer tape and then he takes it out into the sea and he's sitting there on his boat saying, way, look! I'm not sinking. I'm on a boat and I'm floating. Yeah, that proves it. Brilliant. But he manages to extend that to half an hour. There's a name for it on TV Tropes, and it's like suspiciously easy demonstration. It's doing something that looks impressive. There's like a blender. We can blend this iPhone. Look, it's blended into little bits. Okay, what will it do with the pound of chickpeas? Oh, well, chickpeas, it'll just... <laughs> This vacuum cleaner will pick up this bowling ball. Yeah, but the bowling ball's completely smooth. I need it to go on a carpet, which is more complex surface and might have things right deep down. So it's that kind of thing. You know, carving knives advertise, like, you can cut through this tin can. Yes, but I don't need that. How does it work on meat? You don't need to think about this. I mean, everybody knows the answer already, so I don't know why I'm asking. But what is the greatest device ever created and sold via commercial TV? Well, it's just completely gone from my head. I mean, I'm thinking about that bizarre thing that wasn't a hearing aid, but claimed that you could eavesdrop on conversations and also you could... I can't remember what it's called, but it was deeply fascinating and it was this thing that you could hear things... You can hear the sounds of nature. It shows a woman sitting in church and she can hear the pastor perfectly clearly because she's got this thing that's not quite a hearing aid. But then it shows a guy at a football game and he's actually eavesdropping on the plays that they're telling each other. And it doesn't work like that. This just amplifies everything that goes into it. It can't select. It's not that sophisticated. It can't sort of like, right, we'll only amplify things from this number of feet. So that guy would just be deafened because it would amplify everybody in the entire stadium around him. <laughs> it's a damned lie no the greatest device ever created is of course rap 2 rap 2 is for you and you can say ah ah to the price (laughs) thanksgiving this has not really been a great thanksgiving show i'm glad we didn't put this out nearer the real thanksgiving i'm glad we've given it a few weeks 
weeks. But I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this because I like big, broad topics like this. Anyway. Right, okay. So, Thanksgiving morning. There's only one place to go on the dial. You're going to go to NBC. You're going to go to CBS. No, you're going to go to CBS. I know what you're like. Yeah, yeah, I I know. Yeah, we'll come to that. But no, you're on NBC. The place to be. What's going on? It's the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, which has been going for 91 years. I imagine that was something of a reaction to the selling problem. How can we get people in the vicinity of this store on Thanksgiving morning? We'll have a parade. And it's generally seen as the official beginning of Christmas because it is partially Christmas-themed. Hey, you've seen, I'm sure, at least one version of A Miracle on 34th Street. The original, it's Macy's. In the Richard Attenborough version, it's Coles. And I can't remember who it is in the Sebastian Cabot version, but that's it. So it's the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade, and there are massive balloons portraying popular characters. And at the end of it, there is Santa Claus. Christmas has officially begun. And it's one of those things, it sounds like a big treat. It sounds like special programming. But in some ways, there's a certain element of just giving up. Get an OB unit out. I mean, it's very New York-centric as well. And so really what it is for the most part is it's an advert for Broadway shows and an advert for popular culture brands. So there will be performances of songs from shows that are playing on Broadway at that time. There might be a little time to talk with somebody who's on a big new show that's on NBC, so it's a promotional thing there. And then there are massive balloons of popular cultural characters. Hey, remember Garfield? He still exists. Buy Garfield stuff. Sesame Street. Look, ha ha, Sesame Street. Fine, there's Kermit the Frog. His head's deflated. (laughs) And the year Barney was disemboweled (laughs) by a lamppost. It's on YouTube. Barney Thanksgiving balloon accident. Uh, There were particularly high winds that day. Barney got blown sideways and a lamppost just went right into him. And and in the end, of course, it's now less connected. It's two halves are kind of... It's not sliced in two, but the two still inflated parts at either end of the beast. So in the end, they just have to pull it down and burst the entire balloon. Dead Barney skin (laughs) on the floor. It's the joy with which it's met by the, the locals. <laughs> it's like as soon as he realized there's no saving Barney, we're, we're going to give him what he would have wanted and we're all going to jump on his head. But no, there is the 1987 when Kermit's head, there's no footage of it happening, but Kermit's head somehow became deflated. The rest of his body, again, they're carrying him along. <laughs> and they actually have to mix to a picture of the fully inflated Kermit. <laughs> Still as well. It's not even like they have footage. And Kermit just looks hungover. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we did. We watched a couple of Macy's Thanksgiving parades. And Gary, you were so disappointed. I'm surprised the Beatles weren't involved. Oh, that that's that's harsh. But, you know. He didn't like the accurate. 1967 Christmas flexi. And that thing is endlessly quotable. Okay, the first thing that strikes me about the Macy's Parade today, because we watched a few from the 80s as well. Yes, it is the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, but the parade itself is not really the principal focus of the TV coverage. What you've got is effectively a sort of like a non-charitable version of Children in Need, because you've got a ton of performances from Broadway shows. And they're all happening right outside Macy's entrance. 
you know, even though the parade, of course, you know, it's out in the streets, so anybody can just go along and watch the, the the floats and what have you. But this particular area looks like a sort of like ticket holders area. Yeah, you've just got the succession of like little show tunes, maybe about no more than three or four minutes apiece from individual shows. I know that people have been very cynical over the years about the kind of uh, reasons why you have things like that on Children in Need or on, say, like the ITV telephone back in the day or things like that. And, and you know, the sort of cynical view is that oh, it's like shows that the box office takings haven't been great, so they need a bit of publicity or so on. I can understand why they filled the show with all that kind of stuff, but I was sitting there thinking, oh, I wish I had a red button feed where I could just ditch all this and just watch the nice wee parade. Because that's what I wanted to see. I just wanted to watch the floats and I wanted to see if Kermit would get his head trapped in inside a, a, a giant raptor or something like that i mean yeah because that, that's a bit to me that's interesting is, is just watching people passing by and occasionally you've got like what you might call old school entertainment so you've got your marching bands way well, hey, and they're going to do a performance of whatever like super bowl halftime shows like they used to be there was no sign of paul nicholas there but that was a bit where i was sort of interested to see the the show and instead i was getting like a sort of preview channel of here's what you could see at the theater this evening we watched a few years i think we watched 87 and we watched last year's as well there are views of the i guess the feeling maybe is is that you can't just point a camera at some balloons going past it wouldn't last as long so you have to keep breaking off and they will bring somebody in and they will be doing a number in front of macy's this is odd as well this is like having a Something that amounted to a two-hour commercial for Harrods is a department store. I don't know. There might be... Maybe there are Macy's out here. That impression doesn't come across, though, because it's this really grand old department store. It doesn't give me the sense that I should go out to my local branch. If such a thing exists, I haven't entirely been paying attention to the stores out here. So in front of this branch of Macy's, somebody will do a number from a Broadway show, cut to... Al Roker talking to a guest. Al Roker's actually pretty good at holding things together. He's got a certain amount of screen presence and a certain relaxed feel as well. You get the feelings that if things went a bit off, he'd be perfectly able to cope. So he might be talking to somebody who's on a brand new show that's launching here on NBC. And you look on Wikipedia, it only lasted seven episodes. And then we'll see a balloon and then we'll cut back and there'll be another Broadway number and there will be songs performed on the parade floats. And those are this kind of horrible stage school hip hop a lot of the time. There was this, I can't remember what the float was affiliated with, but it was this bunch of anodyne people singing this horrible sticky sweet song. And yet they're doing these hip hop moves. You know, the thing where you sort of thrust your arm out. And point your hand down. So these are meant to be kind of aggressive gestures being done by this hooray for niceness kind of goody-goody singing troupe and that odd kind of grade school rapping. I think I said to yourself when we're watching it, the, the lyrics are always about positivity and about the, the, the importance of friendship and, and sharing and all that kind of stuff. And yet the movements seem to be at odds with that. The, the movements are almost sort of aggressive. Yeah, it's that whole, you know, patting the chest gesture and all these things that are usually done when you're spoiling for a fight. But there is an element of this I like, and it's a peculiar element that taps into the American Christmas. Now, I kind of had this feeling myself. I have to thank my friend Andrew Hickey, who did a blog posting last year about the song Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. 
But he managed to pull this idea into focus. The American Christmas has a post-war feel. The American Christmas has a 40s and 50s kind of vibe around it. Okay, there are songs like All I Want for Christmas is You, but the classic American Christmas songs, even on pop radio, tend to stop around the 50s, maybe a little bit into the early 60s. The canon of great American Christmas pop songs tends to stop with Little Saint Nick. And there are any number of reasons for this, and part of this could just be back from the war and prosperity coming to the nation, and so people, the older baby boomers, are remembering their golden Christmases. The British Christmas tends to start around about 1973, just that bit before the economic downturn really bit hard, so there's kind of a late 60s, early 70s vibe. Slade and Wizard and Morecambe and Wise. We could talk all day and not really explain why that is. So, one of the things I watched last year, it popped up on Netflix. The Rockettes Christmas Show at Radio City Music Hall. That feels really weird and I like it. <laughs> so it is that odd thing that something... I mean, it would be like finding that one of the things on offer on British television this year and had been for many, many years into the past was the television toppers <laughs> or the Tiller girls. <laughs> so marvellously anachronistic. And yet, yes, it does kind of feel the idealised American Christmas has that slightly pre-rock and roll feeling. And that's something that comes through, I think, from the Macy's Parade. Unfortunately, we couldn't find that many old parades to watch. I remember there always being jokes about them having a balloon based around the character Underdog long after people had stopped watching the cartoon of Underdog. <laughs> so the anachronistic sense of this, that's something that I kind of like. But yeah, then you have the whole glee club hip-hop thing. Everybody singing in that mannered way. Everybody doesn't quite believe or engage with what they're doing. I think I mentioned to yourself the other day about a continuity announcement which had annoyed me and I asked you, is Dead Behind the Voice a thing? <laughs> so NBC has the rights to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade so naturally all the other channels are completely locked out in the cold, aren't they? Well, no, yes, here's the thing. A few years back, I am faffing around with my little American TV box and for a couple of days previous to Thanksgiving, I've heard people on all the different NBC channels, saying Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, only on NBC, exclusively on NBC. It's the only place to see it. Well, hey, hey. And I tune in, have a wee look at it. Because I'm sort of thinking, I guess it's probably sort of television equivalent of sort of dead air that's going on most of the channels. And sure enough, you've got your infomercials and repeats of old shows and what have you from most of the other channels. Some of them got local news, light type programming. And then CBS pops up and it says, CBS Thanksgiving Day Parade. Well, I wonder, have they got a parade from somewhere else? Because obviously they haven't got Macy's. And I switch on, and I'm thinking, hey, that's New York. Now, CBS has got a studio in Times Square, so it would make sense for them to cover it. But NBC are telling me that it's only themselves that have got it. So what's this weird thing that's on CBS? And why can't I put my finger on this as to what's wrong with this? CBS is showing the parade yet the presenters seem somewhat distant from the events. 
and also all those sort of show tune performances and what have you don't appear to be happening outdoors but they appear to be happening in some sort of old empty barn somewhere else on the planet and the whole thing feels sort of unauthorized and that's exactly what it is because cbs each year covers the macy's thanksgiving parade without ever mentioning macy's so what this is all about basically is that a forerunner to nbc first televised the macy's parade in 1939 and nbc has been the official broadcaster of the event since 1952 cbs would stage what they called a thanksgiving parade show each year and we watched one from 1986 and it had taped footage from honolulu and it had footage from all parades elsewhere and the u.s and i think also david rapaport was in canada and what have you so they're getting about the place and this is obviously to disguise the fact that they, they don't have access to i suppose what you would call the key bits of the the macy's show so you don't see on cbs any of those performances that take place in that little segregated area because that's obviously the official entertainment from the organizers from macy's now just to quote wikipedia here since the parade takes place in public the parade committee can endorse an official broadcaster but they cannot award exclusive rights as other events such as sporting events which take place inside restricted access stadiums have the authority to do So we have this odd little arrangement whereby CBS, from their Times Square location, has a distant view of the parade, and their reporters are sort of in the outer limits. So they're always going to be in the public areas. They never have access to anything directly sort of at Macy's or anything like that. And those performances I was talking about, which were recorded in the old Empty Barn, the old Empty Barn turns out to be the Ed Sullivan Theatre. And they record performances from shows other than the ones which are performing in the official parade. And they record little show tunes from them sort of weeks earlier and then drop them into the show. So the whole thing is like sort of pirate TV. It's a really bizarre little entity. And I guess, I mean, CBS do it every single year. So I guess they, they, they get viewers for it. But I was going to ask yourself anyway, Till, do you tend to watch the parade on Thanksgiving Day? But then my second question is going to be, if you decided I'm going to watch the Thanksgiving Day parade, would you then think, but I don't want any coverage which is too um, close or too (laughs) official or authorised. I like my coverage to be a bit shady and in a sort of like grey area, you know, like, for example, your TV aerial was sort of making out that it was. Yeah, I don't really know who the audience is for the CBS show, apart from me, because I'm weird. It is interesting, but again, it comes back to it's an easy way of filling time. It looks special, but it's not special. It's the Thanksgiving Day problem. One thing that I found for the first time last year on ABC, and we'll watch again this year, is the Hollywood Christmas Parade, which is similar, but strangely a more scaled-down affair. But that's, I think, because I think they were on Hollywood Boulevard. I guess it's possibly a bit narrower than 34th Street. So that's another thing. This is not our last word. I think we'll come back to Thanksgiving, all being well in future years. Because if we've got any listeners from the US who are coming to us for the first time and there's things we missed, tell us about them, point us in the right direction. We'd love to know more. Could I just make an appeal at this point for any listeners stateside? One thing that was very difficult to find ahead of this show and it's something that i've never been able to put my finger on easily 
whenever we talk about old British TV, for example, it's very, very easy to find out what was on British TV on a particular day because there's certain sources that you can go to, usually, for example, BBC Genome, which has, of course, all the Radio Times listings, or you could go to the Times Digital Archive or the Guardian Digital Archive, for example, and you can get TV listings for the UK for any particular day. So it's never really difficult to be able to find out what was on a particular day, what was in opposition to it, all that kind of thing. Anybody happens to know of an American TV equivalent for that, then please tweet us. You can tweet us at Jaffas for Proust, or you can find us Jaffgates for Proust on Facebook. Now, that might sound like an odd thing to request because you sort of think, well, if it's available for the UK, it must be available for the US. It must be a ton of sites that have that kind of thing available. However, for the reasons that we were alluding to earlier on, the localised aspect and the affiliates and so on, things like Google News have got a ton of newspaper archives for really, really sort of niche titles, very, very small local newspapers. But I'm not aware of anything akin to a TV guide database example or anything like that so yeah if you happen to know of anything that goes back ideally goes back to maybe like the 60s and 70s and could give you an idea as to what the networks were promoting as the principal sort of broadcast time obviously check local listings proviso applies but if there's anything like that out there and you know of it please let us know please tweet us or or just hit us up on on facebook or, or whatever because yeah that'd be a really really handy thing to have i think that'd be a handy thing to have going forward into jaffaville for next year so next week we're staying in jaffaville and we're gazing upon the little white picket fences of a town called heartland usa which is occupied by Mancunian blokes who grew up in Australia who are very worried about the state of the roads in Blackburn, even at a time when you'd think that wasn't going to be paramount on their minds. <laughs> Next week, we're watching the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band movie, and we'll see what happens when you try and make something very, very Northern English into something very, very golly gee American, and it won't be pretty. The soundtrack is fantastic, though. Until then, I've been Tilteraisa. I've been Gary Roger. And we'll say farewell from Jafferville. <laughs>